0: Okay, so kutvach everybody, it's time to start our meeting together. I wish that we could actually be together. Um, I'm in Shul, where we usually meet when we have our classes and our discussions. And it's a little weird to be talking to a computer, but this is how we have to do it now. So, baruch Hashem, we're coming out of a beautiful Shabbos where we had some measure of peace and serenity. And now, after Havdalah, we are facing what we have to face. So we felt that it would be a really good idea for us to connect with each other and just lay out some of the the things that are going on, some of the challenges that we have, and see if we can come up together with with ideas for enabling us to get through this in as best a way as possible. Um, I have some ideas that I'd like to share with you. I don't think they're anything new. I'm sure that they're ideas that you already have yourselves but they're good to put out in the open. And after this, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to um, get texts from you or emails for ideas, for other ways for us to connect over this coming period of time. But I want to start with just a little bit of thought about the Parsha today, the um, special Haftorah today, which was Parsha's Para, and related to what's going on in our lives. There's always something for us to learn from what the Torah is telling us about how we behave in every circumstance and the things that are happening to us right now. It's kind of noisy out there. usually tell them to, it's a little bit noisy here. I'm actually in my husband's office in the shul. Um, we're just making sure the people in the hallway are not gonna talk too loud. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, so the first thing we wanna talk about is um, the fact that the Parsha and the Torah this week relate directly to what we're dealing with. So we know, if you go back in time to the very first time that, that anybody sinned, which was in Gan Eden, Adam and Chava together, did the first sin. And when Moshe Wolfson talks about this, I'm just going to share a little bit of what he says about this, that the root of all sin is to be found in Gan Eden. What does that mean? Well, Hashem put them in Gan Eden and he told Adam and Chava not to eat from the Eitz-Hadas. And then the Nachash, the snake, comes to Chava and he says to her, um, the day that you eat from the Eitz-Hadas, from the tree of knowledge, your eyes will be open, opened, yisem you'll be like God, You'll know good and you'll know evil. What he was saying to her is that as soon as you eat from the sadas, you're going to know everything. And you're going to understand everything that's happening. Says Rav Wolfson that this is the root of all sins, that every sin that happened since then until this day has its root in the need to know. We all want to know. Is that bill supposed to happen? Okay. Mm-hmm. With this, this the cha- one of the major challenges of this period of time that we're experiencing right now is that nobody really knows anything. Even the medical professionals are not all in sync with each other. Nobody knows how this is going to spread, how long it's going to take, what the ramifications are going to be. Is it going to be serious? Are people going to get very ill? Are people going to die? Are we gonna recover very quickly from this? There is a 99% recovery rate. Should we be calm? Should we be anxious? We don't know what's gonna happen to our economy. We don't know what's gonna happen to our society. People are already in competition with each other just to get groceries. Is that gonna get worse? Are we gonna be kind to each other or are we going to be enemies with each other? What's gonna happen if we have to go into quarantine? We're gonna be alone in our homes with just our families for 14 days, how's that gonna work out? We don't like to not know. I wanna know if this is right. I wanna know why God is doing this. I wanna know if this is fair. I wanna know if I agree with this. I wanna understand what's behind it all. And we can't, we never will. So, what did we read today in Shoal? As our Haftorah, we read Parshas Parah. Parshas Parah, we read in Parshas Chukas, that Hashem told Moshe the following, that when a person becomes Tomei mace when a person touches a dead body, or is in the home, the room of a dead body, that person becomes impure because he was near a dead person. And there's only one way to remove that impurity. And until that impurity is removed, a person could not go to the Beis Hamikdash to bring Carbonos or to Daven there or anything. And it was a very serious violation if he did. So Hashem says, well, this is what you do if you want to get rid of Tumas mace of the impurity of death. You have to take the red heifer, which in itself is very rare and a miracle, and you have to burn it. And you have to throw in the hyssop and the cedar and the red string. And then you're going to burn it all together. And you're going to take that and you dip into the ashes. And you're going to put a little bit of Mayim chayim of living water in it. And you're going to sprinkle it on a person. And then they're going to be free of Tumas Mace. Now, this is not something that's understandable to any of us. We don't get it. What do you mean you take a red cow? That red cow is going to remove the impurity of death? How? Explain it to me. I want to understand it. I like to understand the things I do before I do them. And I like to know what the meaning is behind it. And I want to know why it's going to make a difference. I'm a rational person. I'm a logical person. Just give me some reasoning behind this. This is the tikkun, this is the fixing up of the hate, the sin of Adam and Chava, and the sins that we do all the time, wanting to be sure that we know and we understand and it makes sense to us. The whole idea of the para aduma, the red heifer, and the power to remove tumas Mace is that we have to live with emuna Shuta, pure, simple trust that Hashem is in charge, that he knows what's good for us, and that that is what we have to do. So when we think about the para aduma, and we followed when we had the opportunity to do so, the rules of the para aduma, what we were saying was, we don't know, we don't understand, we trust. And that's part of the mayim Chaim. Mayim Chaim is Torah. They really actually took mayim Chaim, but we all know that mayim refers to Torah. And when we scale down all of Torah to just three words, we come up with v'tsadik ve'emunaso yichyeh. V'tsadik lives with his emuna. Adam and Chava, through their desire to understand and know, be in the know and get what God is doing, actually brought tumas Mace into the world. The impurity of death was brought into the world through their hate. And the way to remove that impurity is through emuna pshuta, plain, unadulterated faith that God knows what he's doing, that he created the world. He understands the meanings and the the Kabbalah and all the esoteric, mysterious things behind everything we see in this world. We don't need to understand. So I think point number one for all of us is the following. Nobody knows doctors don't know, philosophers don't know, there's nobody who knows. We can look at China, we can look at South Korea, we can look at Italy, and try to learn some things from them. But we don't know what it's going to be like here. We don't know if the climate is different here, and whether that's going to make a difference. We don't know anything. And we can be okay with not knowing, because the job of Claudius is to not know, and to have trust and faith and belief. It's interesting that the last door before Mashiach, which we all consider ourselves to be in, whether it's actually the very last door, very last generation, or close to the last generation, we are the ones that have to fix up everything that happened until now. And although we're living in a world of darkness and we don't understand ourselves what's going on in any aspect of life, our job is to trust and to believe and to know that Hashem knows. We are being given an opportunity right now to practice being okay with not knowing. That's idea number one. Let's go on to idea number two. We're told that if Adam and Chava had waited another few hours, it would have been Shabbos on that first Friday of the world, the first Friday of creation. It would have been Shabbos very soon. If they had waited until Shabbos they would have been given the hadas to eat. And then they would have understood all of God's creation and all of his plans and his vision and what he wanted and God himself to a certain degree. And that would have been the purpose of the world. There wouldn't have been death. There wouldn't have been pain. There wouldn't have been suffering if they had waited. They had the desire to eat from the tree. Did they have to act on it right away? And we see this playing itself out in the Parsha that we read today. Again, Moshe goes up to Har Sinai on the seventh day of Sivan, and he says to the Jewish people, to us, I'm going to be back in 40 days, 40 full days, and I'll be back within the first six hours of the day. So the Jews made a miscalculation. They thought that the day of the 7th of Sivan would be included in the 40 days, even though it wasn't a complete day. A complete day is an evening, a night, and then the day. He left in the middle of the day on the 7th of Sivan. So, of course, that day couldn't be counted. If he had come down 40 days from that day, he would have come down on the 17th of Tammuz, But they included that 7th day of Sivan as one of the days, so they made a miscalculation. Comes the 16th day of Tammuz, and they're waiting for Moshe to come down from Har with the Torah, and they're excited, and they're waiting, and they're counting the first six hours of the day, and it didn't come. And the Parsha says to us today, the Parsha that we read today, does these words. Hashem gave Moshe, after he finished speaking to him, the two luchos, the luchos of stone that are written with the finger of Hashem. Vayar ha'am Moshe laredes min ha'har. The people saw that Moshe was delayed. He didn't come down from Harsinai when he said he would. What happened there? If they had learned from the chayt of Adam and Chava. If they had behaved as Jews behave, that when you don't see the answer right now, you don't see the Yeshua right now, things aren't working out now the way I thought they were going to, I'm going to patiently await God's guidance. If they had waited till the next morning, Moshe Rabbeinu would have come down with the luchos. That would have been the end of all sin it would have been the purpose of the world completed. We, today, in, not, in, in in 2020, are suffering from the fact that we didn't wait and have patience and let Hashem reveal His plan and wait for the Yeshua to come. We should not have quit right before the miracle happened. We didn't have the patience to wait. This happened in Ganeiden, And it happened when we stood at Harsinai. And it happened when King Shaul was fighting with Amalek. And he didn't wait for Shmuel to come and give him guidance. It happens over and over and over again. So lesson number two that we can take with us right now in this period of time. We don't know when Hashem will reveal, when he will bring the Yeshua to us, when this will be over. When things will get better. We don't know, but we can wait patiently and with Amuna. It's okay to be uncomfortable. We can live with the discomfort of not knowing what's going on, of being blindsided by this within the last month, something that we've never experienced before. It's okay to be uncomfortable because when you have Amuna and you have the patience to be the one who trusts in Hashem and knows that the end will come at the proper time, some of the anxiety of not knowing is removed. So here we are in this situation. We're gonna try to have a Muna, We're going to try to be patient. And what we wanna keep in our minds, I'm sure it's on everybody's mind, is how do we show our children and our community and the people around us and other communities how a Jew behaves in a time of not knowing, in a time of confusion, in a time of some anxiety and for some people fear, because this is a time of confusion. Mir to Hashem, most of us are gonna be okay. The survival rate for the coronavirus is 99.99%. The survival rate from the flu, as far as I'm told, is 99.9%. So this survival rate is just a little bit lower. Chances are we're all going to make it. But we all have people we're worried about. We have people in our community who are compromised. We have people who have lung disease. We have people who are on chemo. We have people who are elderly. We have people to worry about, and that causes us anxiety. A lot of people are afraid. A lot of people are just anxious. And I think most of the anxiety is the not knowing and the wanting for this to be over with already. But maybe we can shift ourselves and look at this as an opportunity. We can be the children and the young people in this community by looking at certain things where we can shift our focus and be prepared to deal with the challenges that are going to come. So I'd like to talk about a few of those challenges. Number one, everybody is in a different situation. We have many people that are going to be in a difficult situation because they have to work and there's no more preschool. If your child goes to Beth Jacob Preschool, maybe there are other preschools that are still open. AJA is closed. Beth Jacob is closed. I would imagine that most other preschools are closing too. And now parents have to panic about what they're going to do with their children. They don't know. And people have to work because our paychecks come from our work. There are some people that are losing their jobs now. Because if you're doing child care and there are no children coming to your child care, you don't get a paycheck. There are many service industries that are closing now. Um, some of the Tamima girls, as soon as they heard that school, that today's the last day of school, they went immediately to get their nails done. Because now they can do whatever they want with their nails. And I said to them afterwards, it's a good thing you did it now because how long will the nail salons be open? Nobody knows. So we have to realize that some people are in fear of their income. Some people are very panicking because they don't know what they're going to do when their customers don't come. Other people are panicking because they have to work while their children are home. Some mothers are panicking because they're afraid there's not going to be enough food for their children. Some elderly people are panicking because they can't get out of the house to go and get supplies that they need. Older people might become isolated which is very dangerous for them. This can lead people to depression and to panic attacks. Most of us are gonna be okay if we put certain things into place. And I think it's important for us to think now and to be proactive and talk about what these challenges are and what we can do about them. And I think that we're gonna need to connect to each other a lot and give each other chizuk. So I have some suggestions. Suggestion number one. It's very important, whether you live home alone, whether you live with family, whether you have small children, it is crucial for all of us to create structure in our lives. If you have small children, you want to create routine and structure for them. Now, there are some people who, in general, are not good at that. They don't create routine, they don't create structure, and they don't require their children to help out or to do certain things in the home. There's no reason that children can't be told that this is a very special time, that people are home because we want to be safe, and that we're going to work very hard to make our home a very special place and to have very good mitos at this time. It could be your children are too young for that. It could be your children are too old for that because you haven't used that language before, but everybody is sensing and everybody knows that something different is happening here. And I think this is an opening for all of us to talk to our families. If you can, have a family meeting and tell your children that things are going to be a little bit different while we're all home together. At this point, we can still get out of our homes. Once we start having cases in our community, we may have to go into lockdown and quarantine. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to know what time we think we're going to wake up in the morning. What are we going to do with our day? It's a good idea to structure it and to lay it out, no matter what age and no matter what your circumstances. It's very important to keep ourselves orderly and to keep ourselves busy and to keep ourselves connected with each other. So the more we can know that we have productive things to do, even while we're stuck in our homes, making a bed is very important. Keeping our kitchens clean is very important. We might think to ourselves, it doesn't matter. Nobody's coming over. I don't have to get things done today. But for our emotional help, health, I think it really makes a difference. I once read a book, and I wish I could remember the name of the book, about a family that was went out to sea on a fishing yacht, where they were sleeping and living. I guess it was a pretty large yacht. And a crazy thing happened to them that they were in the deep waters of the ocean, and a very large whale passed by and smacked their yacht with its tail. And the yacht started to fall apart and sink. The mother of the family, I think there were two or three children, and they also had a young man who acted as a crew member. So you've got the father and the mother and these children, maybe it was four children, I don't remember. And this young crew member, they had to run for the lifeboat. The mother grabbed two bags of onions because they realized if they're in the water, you're not going to have anything to eat. Or drink. And so they ran to the lifeboat and they got out, they they got out of the yacht and they watched the yacht sink with everything. They were able to retrieve a little bit of boards that were left over from the yacht and some ropes and they tied whatever they could to their lifeboat and for a number of weeks they floated on the ocean. And this mother saved the family. How did she save the family? Through structure and cleanliness. Every single morning on the boat, on the lifeboat, she made them clean out the boat. They had to take in water. They had to get rid of all the water that had come into the boat. They cleaned up from anything that they had eaten. They washed themselves off to the best of their ability. She came up with the idea of catching turtles with ropes that they had. And they actually, with knives, killed the turtles, ate the meat, drank the blood. They kept their family alive through structure and direction and discipline the entire time. By the time they were found by a large ship, they were very dehydrated. Their boat with the raft that they attached to it from the boards and the dead pieces of the turtles and the shells of the turtles that they used to collect whatever rainwater they could. It was horrendous. It was smelly. But to them, it was a life-saving life saving period of time. It made such an impression on me that I realized to this day how important it is to keep ourselves disciplined at a time of crisis. That's one idea and we can talk about it more. I'm just laying out some thoughts that you might want to think about and talk about and and post for each other. Number two, the challenges of anxiety. What happens to us when we have anxiety? We look for that endorphin surge that will enable us to escape those bad feelings for a while. Our children are going to pick up on our anxiety. Our relatives, our neighbors, we're all going to pick up on each other's anxiety. So we want to be very sure that we talk in a language that is calm and reassuring and hopeful and tell each other that we're going to make it we're going to get through this. We have each other even if we're in isolation. Everyone has a phone of some kind. Most people have computers. We can be in touch with each other. We're going to help each other. If someone is in quarantine, those of us who aren't in quarantine are going to come and help them and deliver things that they need. We're going to be there for each other. But we have to be on guard against something. As we search for a good feeling, as we search for relief from the anxiety and the fear, whether you have a little bit or whether you have a lot, or the tension of having a family home together for many days, which can cause anxiety, we're going to look for comfort. Different people will look for different things. Some people will go onto the internet internet, and they'll be on the internet for hours. Now, there's nothing wrong with certain things on the internet, but when someone is on the internet for hours, is it good for them? Is it good for the family members around them? Are they actually engaging in life? They are getting endorphins from being on the internet. They are escaping their pain, but we have to measure how much we do. Some of us are gonna munch a lot. Some of us are gonna look for sugar. Some of us are gonna look for salt because it will calm us down and keep our mouths moving. We wanna think about how much are we going to allow ourselves to do that? Can we find, make some kind of a limit, or can we at least be aware of why we're munching constantly? Some people are just going to read. For some people, reading is an escape into a different world. But are we engaging in life? Are we looking at ourselves and taking the time to think about what can I do to become a giver in this situation? What can I do to live proactively in this situation? What can I do to become the kind of person that I I think Hashem wants me to be? Can I spend some time meditating about the vision that I have for my life, the dreams that I have for myself, and what things I can put into place when life gets back to normal, or even right now? How can I be there for others? Another thing that some of us do to release our tension is to create crisis and drama we find it very helpful to start complaining about things that other people do and judging them. We can look at institutions, we can look at shoals, we can look at schools, we can look at other family members, brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law, how they're coping with this. Are they doing the right thing? Are they keeping the children safe? Are they not keeping the children safe? Look how they're doing this. They just aren't listening to what people say. It gives us a release when we start judging and talking about other people. Somebody sent me an article, and I wish I could remember who it was so I could thank them. I have an article here that is about the psych that is about They did a study on college sophomores, and they wanted to see what happens to the oxytocin and the cortisol in the blood when people start getting involved in gossip. So they did a study and they had different groups. One group was just having an emotional conversation. One group was having a neutral conversation. One group was having a gossip conversation. And they found that all of those involved in the gossip conversation had higher levels of oxytocin. Oxytocin makes us feel really good. We find a release in creating drama and conflict. Not all of us. Some of us go for the internet. Some of us go for movies. Some of us go for sugar. Some of us go for a cup of wine. Some of us go for that book that will release us from real life. I think it's important now for us to discover who we really are. Can I live without my fix? Just something for us to think about, and we can talk about it more. We're going to be confronted during this period of time. I don't know how long it'll last because, like I said, nobody knows anything. It may last a long time, it may last a week, it may last two weeks. But let's use every minute as an opportunity to get to know ourselves and what things we can put into place to grow and to show Hashem that we're using this time to connect with Him, to connect with others. He's putting us in isolation. I'm sure many of you have seen the message from Rechaim Kanievsky, the Gadol Hadar, Telling us that we need to watch how we talk to each other and about each other because the isolation of the leper was one week, and here isolation is two weeks. And it seems to be a message from a Kurdish baruch Hu to us you can't live together, I'll have to put you apart. And if you show me that you can live together with love and acceptance and tolerance, and knowing that everybody's got their own inner world that they're coming from. They may not act the way you want them to act, but you don't understand what brought them to this point. You don't understand what's going on in their lives. I know I certainly don't. So what we have to do is tell tell each other and tell ourselves that's her perspective. She has a right to her perspective. I have my perspective. Can I open myself up to understanding that she has a different perspective? If we can work on this while we're undergoing this trial, we're going to show Kodesh Baruch Hu that what he's put into the world has actually made a positive difference. And now we're different people than we were before. And maybe that will lead us to the end of this quickly and in a good and positive way. One more thing I want to talk about. I'm going to take out my Rav Pinchas, Rav Pinkis, safe there. Sha'ari Bitfila makes a beautiful, beautiful point. And he says that oftentimes when we're going through a difficult time, we cry, we sigh, we moan. And he says that every tear and every sigh is like a diamond or a precious gem. And what we're doing when we just cry or sigh or moan is we're actually allowing these diamonds and precious gems to fall to the ground and get lost in the dirt. And he says, why are we doing that? We could actually be taking these tears and these sighs and these groans of pain and directing them to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So even though we're not at that moment davening, whenever we hear of something difficult, whenever we're afraid, whenever we're suffering, you take those diamonds where you just, oh no, what am I going to do? Oh, this is so bad. I don't I don't know what I'm going to do. This is so hard. What am I going to do? And you take it and you direct it. As he puts it, he says it like this. I share, I'll call share korahu. Every tsar, every trouble that happens to a person or anytime he hears about somebody else who's sick or a tragedy that happens or something that makes your heart sink or palpitate or makes you so scared and 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 a sound escapes from you he says immediately take that feeling mala take that feeling and send it to a Baruch Hu. Because he says, it's chaval, it's such a shame to waste these precious gems when you could be placing them as our chazal tell us that our tears and our tefilos are put l'fa'er kisru shamelech hamlachim. They are placed in the crown of a Kodesh and they illuminate and they highlight and they decorate his crown. So even though you may not feel Close enough when you're this anxious to dive into Hashem, you're going to feel anxiety. You're going to feel fear. You're going to sigh. You're going to cry. You're going to feel frustration. You're going to feel like you're failing. We're all gonna fail a lot. And then we're gonna feel bad. Why did I do this? Why can't I be bigger than I was? Why can't I respond without frustration? Why do I have to create conflict? Why am I blaming Hashem? Take the pain. And say, Baruch Hu, this is yours. I'm sending it to you because you're the only one that can save me. Please help me. Help me to be patient. Help me to be okay with not knowing. Help me to wait for you to direct me. Help me to be patient with my children, with my spouse, with my friends, with my family. Help me to do something I've never been able to do before. Help me to use this time of crisis... And that will be different level of crisis for different people. Help me to use it to create the endorphins that we get when we give, when we care, when we connect. And instead of retreating into our fix, let's find a fix that is eternal. The fix of calling somebody who's alone, helping somebody who doesn't know what to do, encouraging somebody that this is going to pass, throwing our troubles, our fear, our pain, our loss straight to Hashem's crown and trusting that he will gather these together. He will be there for us. We've gotta do the work. So let's think about the things we've talked about and let's talk about more so that we can give each other chizuk. I wanna say one last thing. I went one year on a graduation trip and I don't know how many of you remember Rabbi Moshe Miller, who was here. He helped us with Tamima for a while, and he had been in Colorado to, um, not in Utah, to Zion Park a number of times. And he, the girls of the graduating class was a large class. They gathered together. They earned enough money to take their class and myself and Rabbi and Mrs. Miller on this trip to Zion Park. And we were determined to climb Angel's Landing. Now, I don't know how much you know about Angel's Landing. It is a very, very difficult climb. First, you have to go through Walter's Wiggles, which goes straight up. And then you have to start climbing the mountain, which has these iron rungs sticking out of the mountain. And you have to grab hold of them and climb yourself up. And as we were climbing, we encountered a young man in his 20s who had finished the Walter's Wiggles part. And he hadn't yet started climbing up the difficult part of the mountain. And he was crying. And we all see him crying. And he's saying, I can't do it. I wanted to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he's crying. And the girls and I are looking at each other. First of all, we were already wet from climbing Walter's Wiggles. It was so difficult, so hard. And now we look up all the way up. How are we going to do this? It was really scary. Now, Mrs. Miller had done it before. And she was climbing along with us. And I would have turned back 50 times if Mrs. Grizzy Miller had not been climbing that mountain with me. She kept saying, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We finally got to the top, every single one of us. And the only reason we got to the top is because we had each other and we encouraged each other. We have a mountain to climb. We have to be an entire generation and what a Jew does when things aren't perfect. We live in a nearly perfect country. Obviously, we all have troubles in our lives. There's sickness, there's tragedy, there's dysfunction. But we haven't been hounded. We're not running from our, for our lives. We haven't been trained yet in how to deal with these kinds of things. And now we get the opportunity. The first thing we need is each other. The second thing we need is faith in Hashem, or maybe that's the first thing. The third thing we need is patience and letting go of what we think we have to have. The fourth thing we need is the ability to live with discomfort. The fifth thing we need is the courage to look at ourselves and where we think we're getting our peace and our encouragement and our anxiety taken away. The sixth thing we need is the language of growth and caring and love. The seventh thing we need is the endorphins that we get from connecting, giving, supporting, encouraging. This is the opportunity of a lifetime to become who we really are. And I, for one, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you and getting my strength, my love, my amuna, my patience from you. And we're going to be able to do this together. Thank you for listening.